Welcome to Retirementals, a podcast that dives headfirst into the issues facing the financial sector at the intersection of investment, technology and financial advice. Hosted by Abraham Oksanya, you can expect raw honesty, critical analysis and energetic interviews. Here is your host, Abraham Okasanya. Hello and welcome to Retirementals. Unless you've been living under the rock, I'm sure if you're in the financial planning profession in the UK, you've been uh, aware of the PFS versus CI debacle. So I want to dedicate this episode of the podcast to unpacking what the actual What's going on? Uh, with me on the podcast today is Sarah Lord, who is the past president of the PFS. She was so good. She served two terms. I don't think any other past president's done that. And prior to that, she, uh, you know, she'd been on the board of the PFS as a director for 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 several years. Uh, Sarah, welcome to the podcast again. Thank you, Abraham. Thank you for having me. And also, um, I, we have on the podcast, Alistair Walker. Alistair is a chartered financial planner and also the chair of the PFS financial planning panel or practitioner panel. Um, Alistair, welcome to the, to, to the podcast. Hi, Abraham. Thanks for having me. So you guys, first of all, for kudos to you for your service and your dedication to to the profession i think we often forget that people like sarah like yourselves uh, al who stick their heads above the parapet in the pfs in the professional bodies are doing this voluntarily they're not paid and um it, it's a lot of work um you know to to take on in addition to to you know your your day job so thank you for the work you do Thank you in particular for uh, being relentless in getting your voice out there, um, you know, in terms of explaining and adding context to what's actually going on. So I've been trying to get my heads around this. Uh, So, Sarah, what the hell is going on with the PFS and the CII? Um, I'll I'll, I'll try and summarise it um swiftly shall we say i think one of the things i would just like to say is obviously having served on the board for six years and president for two um stepping off the board after my maximum term in september last year um listeners i'm sure will respect that i am bound by board confidentiality um for some of the time that i was you know for the time that i was um party to meetings but equally i'm here to help people understand what is going on um and to give my view um and my personal view so um you know i'm looking forward to the conversation i think quite simply um the cii and the pfs have coexisted happily um shall we say um since the formation of the pfs 18 years ago The relationship between the CII and the PFS became particularly strained over the last two years, but arguably it was becoming strained before then, but particularly strained over the last two years. And um, that culminated essentially with 
um, the CII um, using its powers under the Articles of Association of the PFS um, on the 21st of December. Uh, inconvenient timing um, mm. when it comes to <laughs> Christmas. Um, but using its powers on the 21st of December to um, basically instruct or confirm uh, that it is looking to appoint the majority to the PFS board. Now, the, it, in doing so, in making that announcement, the, um, it immediately appointed three um, institute directors. And just so people are clear, kind of an institute director is an individual that is paid by the CII. Mm. So they appointed an additional three directors, essentially neutralizing the board, so um, leveling it up, which is unprecedented because in the 18 years that the PFS and the CII have coexisted, um, there has always been a majority of member directors. And member directors are the volunteers. They are practitioners, business owners, um, specialists from certain areas within our profession who give their time voluntarily for the board mm. um so 21st of december 2022 i think will now forever be ingrained in my mind as a date of of note shall we say um and we're now currently in a period of consultation but the articles of association clearly state that um, the PFS board have 30 days to consult with the membership. So given the timing of the notice that was given and Christmas and people <laughs> having um, an enjoyable time and extra bank holidays with it being Christmas, the time in which we um, kind of have to consult with membership is arguably significantly less than if the notice had been given at maybe just after Christmas or indeed earlier in the year. So th thank you for that um, sort of elaborate expl explanation, Sarah. So I I'm wondering, um, maybe I'm actually jumping the gun uh, because I want to follow this methodically. I'm actually wondering whether this, so, so the intention of the CI, which is the parent uh, body or the parent company the of the PFS. The PFS is a subsidiary to the to the um, to the um, CRI. But the intention is essentially to overtake, you know, to flood the board of the PFS. So prior to the appointment, there were five um, director members and sorry, you know, member directors. Uh, and two CI or institute directors, as they were called, they've now added um, um, three. So it's five, five. But is it though? Because Caroline Stewart, who's the um, you know PFS pre president and, and a member director, has resigned her position, and we'll come back to, the, to that later on. Do they still need to go through this consultation that they want to go through over a 30, 30 day period? Because in effect, they now dominate the, P, the, the PFS board and, you know, they can do what, what they want to do. Yeah, I mean, on a technicality, I mean, it was really, really sad to see um, Caroline have to make that difficult decision to step down last week. Um, 
she was doing a fantastic job. Obviously, I completely understand why she did um, take the decision to stand down. But yes, you're right. We now sit in a position that um, there are essentially four member directors and five institute directors. We are working through, obviously, everything's moving at a pace, you know, daily, hourly. We're working through actually what that what that means um, and, 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 and how to approach that. But we still have we still have the ability under the Articles of Association to consult with the membership. I think it's also important that kind of people within the profession understand that the PFS board have the ability to do the 30 day consultation and go out to membership and, and, and get feedback through various means, um, you know, uh, channels, shall we say. And then there's a further seven days as described in the articles for that feedback that's collated by the PFS board to go back to the CII. However, there is nothing in the articles that means that the CII have to act on that feedback if that makes sense mm. so i think that's really important to understand as well um because there is obviously a lot of opinion out there from the pfs membership at the current time and you know we need the pfs membership to be expressing their views and um sharing sharing their views um but the cii don't have to act on the feedback that is received. Now, arguably, as a professional, for you know, in, 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 if I was in that position with the CII, then I would I would take on board feedback, shall we say, and give due consideration to that feedback before maybe taking my final um, steps of adding another board director. Wow. So, so. Alistair, Sarah said that these two organizations have existed, um, you know, amicably, shall we say, peacefully. <laughs> um, you know, there's always, I'm sure, um, you know, things to iron out and to smooth out. But two years ago, these things started um, happening, this, you know, massive disagreement. And you think, uh, you know, a lot has been said about this the the root cause of this what do you think is going on here why is it that um all of a sudden <laughs> the cii becomes interested in interfering massively with what's going on with the pfs thanks abraham uh well sarah's already mentioned that she uh you know having sat on the board she signed ndas and board agreements and so on uh no one's ever asked me to sign anything so i'm allowed to pretty much say what i want uh, um, and I will. And by the time this goes out, I think I will have stepped down as chair of the financial planning panel. Uh, on the on the date of recording, uh, I'll be I'll be resigning. Yeah, yeah, no, no, absolutely. Um, the, uh, the funnily enough, this quote I think comes from one of the past presidents of the CII. But the best way of managing a conflict of interest is to remove it. Uh, and and I do have a conflict of interest here because I'm still moderating what I'm saying about what's going on because I have half an eye on the fact that I am, you know, chairing a, a, a or have been chairing a panel uh, for the last sort of year and, and a bit. Um, that's quite important. The key thing for me here, and the thing that I, that I keep trying to say to people, and 
it's a very fair question to say, why should I care? First of all, why should I care? And I can give you 20 million reasons why you should. And that is that uh, for as long as I've been involved with the, with the PFS, uh, it's been in the ascendancy. It's been well managed. It's been well run. It's been well capitalized. It's been profitable. Uh, it's been visible. And it's been a large part of the professionalization of financial planning, which we all know is the best profession going. Uh, but that has been um, driven in large part by uh, the PFS's drive towards getting people to higher qualifications than the standard required, um, towards putting on you know proper events, festivals of financial planning. I think you've attended both as a speaker, Abraham. You know, the, the, there is a buzz around that, which is PFS unique. I've also uh, been involved with the CII uh, as a volunteer, trying to get the education standards higher, trying to bring the qualifications, which are now a little bit out of date, if I'm being polite, into something that's a bit more reasonable. And, and my experience of CII employees, so this coming back to the why should I care, um, is that CII employees don't understand, don't seek to understand, and don't care about financial planning. Uh, if you mention financial planning to half of the CII employees I've spoken to, they kind of look at you with a slightly blank face. Uh, and that's the challenge that you face in a, in a future where the PFS's influence and um, uh, involvement is diminished. Um, so that's one reason why you should care. And the other 19.999 million reasons why you should care is that that is the accrued member funds that are currently under the Articles of Association reserved specifically for the benefit of PFS members. So that is money. How much? Just shy of 20 million, I believe. Right, so that, that right. I think it represents seven or eight years of yeah I can confirm it's about it's about twenty million. Yeah. So 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 there is twenty million pounds of member surpluses that is currently held, as I understand it, effectively in escrow. It sits on the CII's balance sheet. They tried to include it originally. I understand, and again, um, someone can send a lawyer after me if they disagree. Uh, but I understand it was originally intended to sit on the CII's balance sheet, and the accountants that signed off those accounts that year wouldn't allow that. So it sits as a loan. Uh, it's an intercompany loan that, that the CII cannot access without PFS board approval. And what's about to happen to the PFS board? At the same time that the PFS has been in ascendancy, you can, and I think Daniel Elkington uh, actually charted this out, uh, looked at the annual accounts for both bodies over the last few years and, and put, the, put the revenues and the profits down, let's say profits, losses on CII's part uh, down each year. And you can see very clearly a, a, an inflection point at which the CII's cash revenues hit zero. And it is coincidentally about now, as far as I can tell. Uh, and so there is a very, very strong incentive for the CII to do everything possible to allow them access to those funds. And that's why we should care, because I can guarantee that's not going to go, that's gonna, not going to go specifically to PFS members. So, so this is interesting. A couple of things. So the 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 CI accuses the PFS board of some sort of failing, some over, failure failure in their oversight as directors. But I've read this. I've read these things, and I can't put my hands, my finger on what they are actually um, alleging. And 
whether this is a, you know, the, the, nothing in that, the list of four or five failings that they come up to is tangible that you, you can, that you can measure. And then it goes against what you're saying, which is to say, well, if the PFS, so if the CIA is accusing the PFS board of failure, well, it's certainly not one that we can see, see in the progress made by the both by, 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 by the by the both organizations. So in the last five, seven years, the PFS is just gone from strength to strength. And I read this article by uh, Keith Richards, who was the former C, you know, CEO, CEO of the PFS. Um, and he says that, I, I, you know, I have, I, I have huge respect for Keith and I think he's done an incredible job, um, you know, bringing the profession to the f- forefront. And he says that the um, PFS kind of strategy and plan were so good <laughs> that the CIA itself had to adopt it, um, you know, a couple of years ago. Uh, and so, uh, and then when you read Caroline's uh, resignation uh, resignation letter, she makes this point that you're making as the now past president um, until a couple of day- days ago that the PFS, sorry, the, the CI is in essence insolvent and is trying to lay hold of this one. And I did, you know, I did a little bit of... Um, um, my own research and, and pull the account of the both organizations. And I actually shared it on Twitter, by the way. And you can see that the CI group consolidated account, uh, you know, over the last, over, over the last, um, you know, over the last two, two accounts that, that you can see, you know, this organization is, is losing money. The PFS is making money. Now, I work out that if you extract PFS profits from the CI, the losses are actually bigger, much bigger, right? Because the CI's consolidated account includes the PFS. And so, so the in, what seems to be happening here, uh, and again, I'll, I'll be interested in, in, in Sarah's thoughts, is that obviously, and, and Caroline said again in, in a letter that the, P, the CRI asked the PFS board to guarantee a loan uh, by a major bank, and the PFS board declines. Obviously, you can see why the CRI is interpreting this as a some sort of dereliction of duty, but it seems quite obvious that money is playing a big part in what's going on here. Sarah, do you disagree? Um, No, I don't disagree. I think there's a couple of things really to unpack there. Um, So in, in the notification that was received on the 21st of December, you're right, you're right um, in the, the public statement, there were a number of allegations made towards the PFS board. And those were the reasons given as to why the CII board felt it had had to take that action. 
as we sit here and record this on Monday the 9th of January, I personally, as the immediate past president, have not been provided with any evidence of the allegations that have been made. Yet, a member of the CII board who ran a, um, a guest column in Financial Planning Today 10 days or so ago, is quoted as saying that they have scrutinised the evidence. The PFS board there has have not received any evidence of the allegations. And, you know, I've said it publicly, I'll say it again. I strongly refute the allegations and I would like to see the evidence for the so-called governance failings. That's one thing. You know, let, let's let's be transparent. Let's have let's have the evidence out there um, for allegations that are made, which are deeply damning allegations as well. And as I say, I strongly refute those allegations, as do the other member directors and co-opted advisors. The second point is, it is my personal view, which, you know, I think is, you know, it, it is out there in public. It is my personal view that whilst the CII are saying this is not about money, it is my view that it is about money. And, um, you know, there's been statements around um, money won't be used to be um, uh, any differently than it has been, and it will um, continue to be used to um, meet the needs of PFS members. But there is also statements from the CII around that, in my view, are incorrect, that we haven't paid um, any contribution towards the costs of running exams. Why should the PFS run, um, pay any costs for running exams? We don't receive any of the revenue. All the revenue for exams goes to the CII. It is a CII engagement. Um, so, you know, there's a number of aspects out there that I think can be quite confusing. Um, but, you know, it was back in March 21. It, you know, it's publicly available information, I think, from what I stated at the AGM in 2021. But yeah, the member directors declined acting as guarantor on a loan because we 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 didn't receive sufficient information or indeed consistent information for us to be able to discharge our duties as directors that we felt it was in the best interest for the BFS. You know, if, if there had been a, a detailed and accurate proposal, the outcome might have been different. I'm not saying it would have been different. It might have been different. But we weren't provided with that information. So we couldn't do anything apart from decline the request because we had to bear in mind our duties as directors to the PFS to the PFS to the company and to the PFS membership and the other key thing is the articles of association of the PFS are very distinct and it's very distinct that the PFS assets their reserves so the 20 million that is talked about must be used in line with the objects of the Articles of Association. And the Articles of Association clearly state that the, um, the, the primary focus of the PFS is, to, is the facilitation and promotion of financial advice. That's, that's really important that people understand that. 
because that is essentially the way in which to a certain extent the PFS assets and the reserves are, are shall we say, protected. Now, you know, I, I wrote in a piece last week that if I was a betting person, and I'm, I'm not a betting person, um, but I think, you know, what we'll see pretty quickly is the CII seeking to increase the recharge that is paid by the PFS back to the CII for the services that are provided by the CII. So that's one way of getting extra money, shall we say. And also, I think there will also be a proposal that the PFS has not paid its way over the years, um, particularly during COVID, um, and therefore seeking to, um, you know, get a couple of million. Now, I don't know what the number might be, but a, an amount of money in relation to, shall we say, past um, services charges, the IT transformation program. Um, but, you know, the institute directors that have been placed on the PFS board, their duty is to the PFS. And that needs to be remembered that as a director of the PFS board, their duty is to the PFS, not the CII. But if anyone's actually read through the Articles of Association in detail, um, I've never been so familiar with a set of articles. Um, <laughs> there is a clause within the Articles of Association that basically says that the conflicts of interest from the Institute directors can be ignored. Um, wow. So it, wow. it, it, it is pretty incredible. Um, we, you know, and, and I think to a certain extent, that is one of the reasons that we're kind of where we are. Um, you know, often with these, often with takeovers, you look over history, nine times out of 10 with corporate takeovers that have happened in the past, it is about money. And it is my personal view that this is about money. It's interesting that in 2020, the PFS, sorry, the, the, the CII group revenue was something in the order of 37 million. And they ended up with a loss, a comprehensive loss, about 5 million that year, right? And the thing that jumped at me, uh, someone, or someone you know, actually pointed this out and said, how does an organization make losses from running qualifications, right? So they spent, you know, they they bring they brought in eight million uh, from running professional qualifications exams, and they spent um, thirteen, nearly fourteen million on on, on on this qualification on providing the cost of running it. And I'm thinking to myself. Um, that doesn't make sense. And then what you see, go, going back to your point, um, Alistair, in 2020 is that, sorry, 2021, is that the PFS then, sorry, the CII, sorry, then wants to cut its cost, right? Because they can't continue losing uh, 5 million uh, pounds a year. Is that what they then did was that they cut member services, the amount of money they were spending on member services by around, um, you know, two, two and a half million. Losing bit, the, the loss making bit still remains the same. And 
you know, and, and you look at this account and you think to yourself, this is an organization that is clearly in financial troubles. But then you stand back and you say, as far as the structure of the organization exists today, it's not in our interest as PFS members for the CII to, you know, to go belly up. Or is it? Because, you know, all as far as I understand it, the exams that people take, <laughs> I say people take, or that I took, I say people take because <laughs> I haven't taken an exam <laughs> in a very, very long time now. Uh, I think I've been, you know, been there, done that, got the T-shirts, you know. But so the way I understand is that the exams, the you know, even the CI, the CI exam, the diploma in financial planning exams, all of the revenue and the cost is handled by the CI. Obviously, we pay professional membership. I, I imagine that split between the PFS and the CI. But I, my point is that it's not in our interest for the, P, the for the CI to to go belly up. And so if this organization needs a little bit more money and we need to contribute as members of both organizations, although we are primarily, there's a reason why the, the financial planning members, uh, uh, you know, is separate from the general insurance, shouldn't we do something to put more in, 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 the, in the kitty? Or is it CI problem and, and the CI should solve its own problem? Can I give an analogy? Um, Please. That, that I think we come across a lot as financial planners. Uh, and you, you imagine you have clients in the office and they say, oh, gosh, our son just cannot manage his finances. And this mm. is the seventh time I've bailed him out. And mm. the credit card bill just keeps, keeps uh, racking up. And as a financial planner, usually what you want to say is, Perhaps this is because it's the seventh time you've bailed them out that the, the, the credit card can keep running the balance. Now, imagine if you to try and analogize that to what's going on. Imagine if it was the other way around. Imagine if you were the son in that scenario and it was your parents who kept racking up the credit card bills. And then rather than coming to you and asking you for the money, they came to you and said, oh, by the way, we're actually taking over your bank accounts. You're no longer a signatory and we're going to bail ourselves out with that cash. Does that resolve the core problems in the management at the CII? Does that resolve what has led to them posting millions of pounds of losses each year? Or is it a short-term plaster over a much bigger mm, mm. problem? Because mm. what strikes me for, as a member is if you've got an organization that, 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 that manages its, its finances well, that manages its books, that does, that does things right, and and post profits and you've got an organization that's struggling and which is struggling to the extent that it appears to need to, to make a clearly wholly unpopular move i mean there was a piece in the insurance post an op-ed written by the editor of the insurance post about how bad this looks for the cii you know and uh, and that that's like one of the key news sources of the insurance sector from the editor so so you've got this you've got this wholly unpopular move to plug a short-term gap in, in the finances, you kind of think, where are the governance issues here? Wh wh how is this going wrong? And, and who should be 
calling the shots to get it right? Should it be the organisation that seems to have spent five million pounds a year more than it's earned for the last decade? That's the challenge I face is, is what, okay, I kind of agree with you to the extent that do we want our examining body, our chartered body to go bust? No, I don't want that. But do we also want to give them a blank check? Well, we're not giving them a blank check. They're, they're, they're forcing it off us. And then hope that they sort it out in the meantime? Because that's what PFS members yeah. are left with. Yeah, you, you make an important point. And again, uh, I'll come back to you, Sarah, that this seems to be a point that, that Caroline made, that the CRI's problems are so deep that the proceeds from the sale of the headquarters, apparently that was 20 million, is not enough to fix its problems. And I was looking at the account in 2021, they spent 6.6 million odd on um, essentially transferring the risk of its on its divine benefit scheme. And so I was looking at, and they said, this is the first. They say this, this is the first in the process of transferring that risk uh, in the defined benefits scheme, um, you know. And, and I was thinking to myself, well, if, if this is the first, how many more are there um, to come? And so that, so, so going back to your point, um, Alistair, that the problems are so deep that um, I don't even think, uh, you know, I question whether these 20 million um, uh, pounds that the PFS have got is going to solve the problem. It would, you know, it would keep them going maybe for a couple more years, but it doesn't solve the, the fundamental issue. And I'm going to go there. I was looking at the salaries of these people running this organization. People are earning 200,000, 250,000. And this thing that they've just done, appointing three more directors, everyone knows what they're paying these people, um, and, and flooding the PFS direct, you know, board with more paid directors, you know, uh, and we're now in a in a position where volunteers like yourselves, uh, and that's sad, Alistair, you know, uh, are resigning or thinking of resigning. Caroline's resigned. A couple of people, uh, sort of the, in, the the local PFS, you know, sort of leaders are resigning. Well, the behavior here does not strike me as, an, as one of an organization that is keen to get its house in, in, in order. No, I think, um, yeah, I mean, there's a, again, there's quite a lot, quite a lot there, but I think, you know, one of the, one of the key things is, you know, the PFS board and as, as directors, you know, we have a fiduciary responsibility um, and, and therefore we have to give due consideration as to, you know, if, if you are to um, guarantee a loan or you are going to provide capital, what, where, what that money is going to be used for and whether it's in the best interests of the membership. Um, and, you know, the, we've seen during um, COVID, there were many, many, many challenges with the exams um, provided by the CII, which mm. had a detrimental impact on the PFS membership. 
there are, you know, but we've been operating, I personally feel, as president, um, over the two years, I was operating under a, an environment that I have never experienced before, mm. of mm. huge pressure, real challenges. Um, and, you know, some of that is because, you know, to the point about is it in the members' best, PFS membership's best interest to see the CII become insolvent? Well, no, it's not, because ultimately the CII is the provider of SPSs. Mm, you know, mm. many at night have I sort of been thinking, like, if not sleeping, I've lost so many nights of sleep um, over the course of the last 18 months in particular, but thinking, you know, if the CII fails, mm. then that's 25,000 people that are dependent, their livelihoods, their ability to trade mm. is, is, is captured within that SPS. That's before you even consider like CPD and exams and other things, you know, the SPS is people's livelihoods. So I don't believe it is in the PFS memberships best interests to see the CII fail but equally we have got to see a significant improvement in mm. culture this is my view in culture um, and service because I think you know it is my personal view that that the CII has lacked transparency and I like to believe that you know I am a very transparent person and that's what that's how I like working with people the culture needs to shift to far greater transparency and the service that the PFS membership receives has got to improve significantly um, and I think you know one of the challenges I think Alistair said it early on as part of this conversation I do think there is a lack of understanding of how big the divergence between kind of the insurance sector and the financial mm, planning mm, profession has mm, become. Mm, you know, mm. when the CII, um, the PFS formed as part of the CII group 18 years ago, we hadn't had RDR. You know, there was a far greater alignment, shall we say, between the two different sectors. But now there's a real significant divergence and that, you know, if the services are to be provided by the CII for the PFS membership, there has to be far greater understanding of our profession. But, you know, I, I said it last week in a piece and it is really strongly my personal view that the, the PFS needs far greater autonomy within the CII group. And by autonomy, it's got to get its voice back. You know, some of the membership has been very um, vocal that since Keith stepped down over the course of the last 18 months, we have lost our voice with stakeholders. We have. There isn't, you know, you know, we completely have. I was, I was president and at the time there was no CEO, you know, the hours that I put in, but I couldn't, you know, we couldn't do it all. We need, we've been calling for that representation. Also, we need our own infrastructure that really understands what, um, you know, the profession is about. Um, <coughs> we are a separate legal entity. We are within our rights to appoint and have employees as part of kind of, the business, and, and, and that's what I mean by autonomy. The PFS needs far greater autonomy because of the direction of travel for our profession. 
Uh, and this is this is actually the crux of the problem, isn't it? Because you know, in the days that Keith was the CEO, he had so much respect from the financial planning community because he was one of us, or he is, you know, still, you know, he was taken as someone running a, a network and and to come and run uh, the professional body. I don't know Don McIntyre or whatever his name is from Adam, and this is my words, not 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 anyone. But he doesn't strike me. I mean, this is a guy who ran, you know, some UK cybersecurity council. You know, uh, maybe it's a professional body, but the experience and the respect that you need to garner from the financial planning community, I feel is lacking. And so where where does this take us to? You know, is really the direction of trouble here. And I, I was trying to think about how this might happen. Uh, you know, someone wrote an article about, well, maybe there is a breakup of the organization, the, the you know, personal finance society becomes an independent organization, runs its own exams, um, uh, you know, uh, serves its own members in the financial planning community, and you leave the CI to attend to the general insurance community. Are we cursed as a financial planning profession that we always have to be sub, some sort of, this is what's, this is what's happened with the, um, you know, um, um, the, the IFP, that has become some sub, you know, a subsidiary or subs, not subsidiary, subsumed is the word I'm looking for of the of the investment and security, you know, chartered investment and security institute. Is that is this the car? Is this a curse that I know it's our history, you know, that we were considered a subdivision of the insurance and the investment industry? Is it time? for us to have a dedicated professional body serving the interest, the exams, the qualification, the training of, 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 of the, the financial planning profession. So uh, I've given this quite a lot of thought recently, as you could probably imagine. Um, and I think, your, um, I think your assessment is a good one. You effectively currently have three visions of financial advice in the UK. If you look at its professional bodies, mm, you have mm, you have mm, one mm. which is a, effectively a, a subsidiary, or you might say selling arm of a bank with the LIBF. Yeah. You have one mm. which is a subsidiary or a selling arm of a stockbroker or a discretionary manager, which is CC. And you have one which is, to a greater or lesser extent, a subsidiary or selling arm of a of an insurance sector, which is our history, as you say. The closest to being an independent body of the three is currently the PFS because it, it mm. has its own legal structure. It is its own trading entity. It's limited by guarantee to its members. Um, it, the, the, the challenge is without that, what is it? You know, if it, if it becomes effectively a, a vassal of the CII and a cash cow, which I think is the direction it's going, you know, what relevance does it have? What, what vision should we have for a financial planning uh, body? The point about exams is an interesting one. I think we're the only profession which insists on having its members' bodies be the same as its, of its examining bodies. You know, yeah. I, I, I think we, I, and, I th and I actually think it's an anachronism 
Because as we know from other areas, vertical integration doesn't always lead to those efficiencies you expect it to. And it actually mm. leads to conflicts of interest, which is one of the challenges we've got here, right? Um, incidentally, uh, the COO of the CII told me following the AGM and asked a question of him that 55% of exams taken in 2021 were PFS exams. So that's a big old chunk of exam revenue for, for the CII as well that isn't reported anywhere as being related to the PFS. And so, so you've got this situation where, where you go, yeah, what, what, why? Why is this the case? Um, and that's a really hard one to answer, but I mean, seed capital, hours of work, all of those kind of things, you know, hundreds of thousands of hours of work, probably setting something like that up. Who's going to do it, you know? So Sarah, what, what's the way forward here? There is this, forgive me, consultation, non-consultation. I've actually sent an email. No one's replied, you know, to say we need an AGM. Uh, I say I, I have sent an email. I use Alistair's template, <laughs> which I, I can't stop seeing uh, on my Twitter feed of Christmas because over Christmas, so it keeps coming. So I said, I better do this. So I sent an email, but, you know, but, you know, but, but Sarah, you said that they're not under any obligation to even consider the feedback that they are going to get during this consultation. Um, they're not um, under any obligation to call an AGM or are they, you know, where do we go from here? Yeah, I think just, just on the EGM, I think, you know, this is my personal view. I've been, I've been out there on LinkedIn and stuff. We need the PFS membership um, to be calling for an EGM. Um, and Alistair's um, done some great work on his website and made it really easy. We have received over a thousand emails um, requesting an EGM. Um, and, and so, you know, there is significant disquiet, um, shall we say, from the membership. We also, as member directors and co-opted advisors, publicly stated last week that we believe there should be an EGM. The problem we have is in, you know, and again, I've said this publicly, um, the timing of the notice given, in my view, was so disingenuous um, in the run up to Christmas that it really curtailed kind of the time available to consult because even though me and other individuals as part of the PFS board were, um, shall we say, um, working on this over the Christmas break. I really did not get much Christmas at all. There is a, you know, a lot of people have been on holiday, rightly so. And so we are c constrained by time. So any EGM now will be outside of the consultation period. That's not to say that there shouldn't be an EGM. Um, the, 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 the way forward and what I would like to see is I think the CII, and again, this is personal view, but I think they have been taken aback by um, kind of uh, the feedback, shall we say, from the PFS membership, how strongly the membership feel about the actions that they've taken. I believe that the CII thought that the member, the PFS, wrongly thought that the PFS membership was apathetic. Um, and therefore um, weren't necessarily expecting this backlash. My personal view is that the right and proper thing to do for the membership um, and to respect the membership is 
to be in a position where we're essentially um, neutral. So at the moment, you know, because Caroline had to resign, she was put in a position where she felt she had no other choice um, but to resign. We have lost a member director. So I believe that the CII, if in, in my view, the right thing to do is actually to remove one of those directors so that we go into um, or have a consultation and hopefully have an EGM where we're kind of neutral. I personally would have liked to have seen um, the CII showing a bit more respect to the peer class membership as well, as far as the timing is concerned, but also potentially considering an extension to the, you know, the consultation period. To date, there has been no extension to the consultation period. So essentially the consultation ends on the 19th of January. It's just not enough time. Um, and I, I, I really want the PFAS membership to have a voice. And I also personally do not believe that there should be a majority of institute directors on the PFS board. Um, I believe in our profession, um, it's run very well for the last 18 years with um, a majority of member directors and also um, lay directors. Then we don't need to, we don't need to take these steps forward. Is my view equally given the precarious situation we're kind of in just generally at the moment? I, I, you know, the CII becoming insolvent. I don't believe is in the members' best, the PFAS members' best interest either. Currently, you know, one of the challenges, in some ways, you know over the course of time maybe in the next five to ten years yeah we could get to a position where we have the pfs um as a, a, a sort of a, a separate standalone entity but you can't make that happen overnight because a lot of our membership over eight thousand members put a lot of pride in their chartered financial planner designation you know realistically they'd need to be sort of would look to need to have kind of that chartered status need to be able to provide SPS for the membership, which, you know, goes through the FCA. Um, there are a lot of things that our members need that are, that are essentially provided through the CII group. Um, but that's not to say it's not impossible. It is possible, but it takes time. Yeah. So just to wrap this up then, um, the key actions, um, you know, going forward is so for for the for the CI, we want to end up in a position where at most you have equal number of member directors and um, and the institute directors. Correct. We want. Um, the consultation period to be extended is that is that you know to consult more with the membership i mean we need a new president at least um so and and to elect a president we need to go through what an agm is that how a president forgive my ignorance sarah Do no the president the president is actually a board decision but the president right. fortunately it's written in the articles that the president can only be a member director so the president can't be an institute director um but yeah i mean the timing of the notice means that the consultation 30 days was always it has always been too short anyway if that mm. makes sense 
um, you know, uh, but I, I, I personally think it's only fair and reasonable that the CIR look to extend the consultation period um, before taking any further action. And I really would like to see them remove one of the directors so we get to a neutral position to, and I, you know, I really would like to see an EGM. Alistair, what do we need to do to get this uh, AGM done? If you're a, a financial planner, a member of the PFS listening, uh, g give us the details of what, what we need to do. Yeah, so um, I, I, I started this uh, what, a couple of days after the, the announcement, um, but you can go to rpfs.co.uk um, and there's, there's information there. But, it, but fundamentally, it send an email to Don McIntyre uh, at the pfs.org um, with your pin your pfs pin and your name and that should be counted as a as a member call for uh, for an egm um you know re, re, obviously an email request one let's say there's a template and a button you can press to send the email on the website um but as i say i mean fundamentally what i want is is the pfs is the sorry the cii board and executive to stop briefing via press releases and to start having conversations you know, there is clearly an, a, a good portion of unanswered questions here about their governance, about the relationship of PFS and the CII, you know, and, and, to, and to hear absolutely nothing but press office briefings and, and the most minimalist of responses in the press, uh, you know, doesn't give, doesn't give me any confidence as a member whatsoever. Good stuff. Um, guys, this is important. Do, do, do as Alistair says. Uh, you know, um, this is important, I feel, for the, for the future of the profession. So if you haven't, uh, you know, sent your email to Don McIntyre, please do so. And uh, Alistair's website helps with all that stuff. Look, uh, Sarah Lord, um, Alistair Walker, thank you very much for coming on the podcast. Thank you for your insights. Uh, thank you for the work that you do in the profession. It's truly, truly uh, uh, a labor of love, and it's very much appreciated and respected, uh, you know, by me and I'm sure by 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 your peers in the profession. So, uh, thank you very much for for your time. Thank you, man. Thank you. I'll be remiss if I don't thank my incredible team who worked very hard to put this program together. Thank you, thank you very much guys. I'd like to thank our sponsors, Timeline Retirement Planning Software and Bytech Low Cost Flat Fee Model Portfolio Manager. And to you, our listeners, thank you for your time. I hope you've had as much fun listening to the program as we have making it. You can find more about the show at retirementals.co.uk and you can follow me on Twitter. My handle is Abraham on money. Until next time, thank you and goodbye.